Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion, that USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Facebook is strengthening security during elections by increasing political ad transparency, blocking fake accounts before they have a chance to do harm, and reducing the spread of false news. Learn more at facebook.com slash action plan. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another edition of Politico's Nerdcast. I'm Scott Bland, your host. This week on the Nerdcast, we're going to be talking caravans, tax cuts, tariffs, and the increasingly tenuous link between what President Donald Trump is talking about on the campaign trail and what's actually happening in reality. Plus, what would happen if you watched hundreds and hundreds of campaign ads? What themes would emerge? What would you learn? Would you go insane? A brave Politico colleague will join us to talk us through it. A reminder before we get started to our listeners to subscribe to the Nerdcast, rate us, and write a review. And one more note before we begin, we're taping this a little bit before noon Eastern on Thursday, October 25th, so it's all up to date as of then. All right, let's jump right into this. I want to welcome our guests. We have Senior Politics Editor Charlie Matessian. Happy to have you here, Charlie. Hi, Scott. We have two wonderful members of our Politico White House team also. Nancy Cook, thank you. Oh, thanks for having me, Scott. And Chris Catalago, welcome back as well. Thank you. All right, so time for our first data point, 10, as in 10%. Donald Trump was talking this week about a new tax cut of about 10% for the middle class ahead of the midterms. Problem is, nobody in Congress knows what he was talking about, and nobody in Congress is there to vote on it, even if they did know what he was talking about. There's no bill. There's not enough time before the midterms to make a bill happen, and yet here we are. Nancy, you wrote about it this week. So what gives? Was the president just talking off the top of his head? Or is this part of a strategy to win midterm votes? What what happened here? So it was both. The president was completely talking um, off the cuff. Um, and he mentioned it on Saturday. He mentioned this magic tax cut. And people sort of dismissed it as just sort of a one-off, but then he brought it up again on Monday. And, you know, I pinged a bunch of people in the White House, folks on the Hill, you know, my sort of tax geek wonk friends. You know, I love the economic stuff. And nobody knew what he was talking about. And people were sort of speculating, well, like, maybe he's talking about this Labor Department proposal. (laughs) And, like, maybe he's talking about this. People on the Hill were much more candid. They were like, we have no idea what he's talking about, Nancy. And then they're like, call the White House. You know, everybody just kept saying, "Uh, Nancy, call the White House. And I'm like, well, I called Speaker Ryan's office. I'm like, well, Trump said Speaker Ryan's like working on this plan with him. And Speaker Ryan's spokesperson just said, "Um, you need to call the White House, Nancy. Um, So nobody had any idea. And, And it was sort of this larger example of the way that Trump makes these promises that he think will sound that he thinks will sound good either on the campaign trail or rallies or wherever at the White House, and how people in the White House and the Hill basically have to reverse engineer policy based on these off-the-cuff comments that he does. And the Washington Post had a great piece where they've laid out all the different times that this has happened. This has happened also with the transgender ban, the tax cut, uh, some of the space program stuff, where, where whole groups of policy people then have to be like, oh my gosh, we made this promise. 
Now we have to come up with a policy plan that actually backs it up. And so that's one thing. But the other thing is, is that this really does play into what is happening with the midterms. I mean, the two themes of what's happening with the midterms are sort of Trump is trying to capitalize on people's sense of fear. And then he's also really capitalizing. He's using a lot of falsehood, lies, whatever you want to call them to uh, sort of talk about what he's going to be doing, and and they're not really true. And so those are sort of the themes that I see heading into the midterms, falsehoods and, you know, just a ton of fear about his rhetoric and what could happen. Does Trump actually think there's going to be a 10% tax cut? I think that Trump, I mean, I think he thinks he's president, right? Like, it's hard for me to get inside his mind exactly, but I think he's like, well, I'm president. Why not? You know, I'm a businessman. Like, he's always, as a president, had a hard time grasping the fact that tax bills, for instance, originate in the House of Representatives, not the White House. You know, this stuff has to pass through Congress. It's like, obviously, he knows on some level it's not going to happen because um, Congress, the House and the Senate are not even in until after the election. So it's not going to happen before the election like he promised. But I also think that he feels like um, he's never been like very respectful of the different branches of government. And so I think that he when he makes promises like this, he expects them to be carried out in some fashion. He's making them as a in the mindset of a CEO who can hand out a 10% bonus anytime he wants. Right. Like, we're going to do this. We need more tax. I was told by White House people that even at the signing of the tax bill, um, which hadn't been done since Ronald Reagan. So it happened last time there was a tax cut was 1986. At the signing of the tax bill, everyone was like, wow, this is so historic. And he was like, yeah, but we should do more tax cuts. So, you know, he doesn't always appreciate the longevity of the or just how long it takes to get stuff done in Washington. And R- Reagan was the previous like wider tax reform bill, but there had been tax cuts between. Yes, thank you. But there there hadn't been like a bill of this magnitude right. in 30 years. Right. And now, Chris, like th- this is not the only one. As as Nancy said, this is not the only one of these things that's going on right now. Trump, the, the president also suggested that Middle Easterners were trying to sneak into the U.S. as part of a caravan of migrants that's slowly making their way. Way through Central America right now and through Mexico. But he, he later said, and th- this is actually kind of remarkable, he later said he's got no proof of this claim. But Chris, the, the caravan story and what Trump has tried to do with it is almost made for TV and, and as such made for Trump as well. Yeah. So we watched the evolution of this. We were talking with folks in the White House a couple weeks before this caravan even surfaced. I think... Uh, uh, more than a week ago before he started talking about it, there were only about 200 people in this caravan that grew into the thousands. And they were saying that polling in a lot of these tight congressional districts indicated that immigration as a whole and this idea that we need to protect ICE, there was a whole um, on the left uh, movement to abolish ICE over the summer, was really resonating with voters, a lot of these battleground districts. And they thought we need to find a way to talk about immigration. Then this caravan came along and we watched as Trump started to just bring this up wherever he could, you know, even even unprompted. This, this, they saw this as an immediate gift to him. And um, this combined with this idea of a new tax cut, I think the new tax cut is as good um, of a reminder to us as we could possibly have that talking about the original tax reform is not enough. Uh, we're so close to the election now. He already delivered on something, but delivering on something is different than saying I'm going to do something more. Also, that was seen and has been attacked on the Democratic side as being 
uh, a handout to big business, whereas this one, I think he's focusing a lot more on the middle class. And so I think these are a lot of the voters who need to be motivated uh, versus uh, just his friends in business. Right. Now, that's a good point. And Charlie, we're going to talk a, a little bit about kind of the, the ad wars in the next segment. But the balance of what's in those ads clearly shows that the last year's tax law has been at at the very least, a break even or maybe even a net negative for, for a lot of House Republicans, certainly. Yeah, I've been surprised. Uh, you know, speaking of ads, you don't see it turn up that much in, in Republican ads. You'd think that this would have been the centerpiece of the reelection campaign, especially uh, with, a, with a healthy economy, but you don't see it at all. And, you know, I think in, in part the, the, the blame there probably rests on the White House for stepping on that message consistently and providing uh, so much fodder for Democrats in their ads to, to use the president against uh, various um, – House Republicans, particularly in the suburbs, and, and that's how the president uh, surfaces. The other way the president surfaces in these ads is in these red states uh, where candidates are tying themselves very closely to the president, uh, particularly in places like West Virginia. You see it in the North Dakota Senate race. Uh, you see it in lots of places throughout maybe the South and, and some uh, Rocky Mountain areas where you've got the candidate uh, embracing the president in the ad or you know reiterating their support for President Donald Trump's agenda or fighting for Donald Trump's uh, agenda in one way or another. Yeah, I was going to say that actually these two issues form kind of the polar opposites of the folks on the outside who have Trump's ear who really wanted him to go hard on immigration and this this tax reform idea, which the White House itself, the White House proper, thought would be a much bigger issue that he would campaign on. And the folks outside were actually very critical of that and saying, you can't run on that. Like that doesn't that doesn't gin up support among the base. You need to bring up some of these more visceral issues. And uh, Donald Trump, we saw and as the spring rolled around uh, in May and June, he started to use much more loaded terms like animals to describe the MS-13 gang. And then you saw the abolish ICE movement that he was able to really capitalize on. So we, we've seen who has won out in that debate. Obviously, the immigration side has won out over the tax reform side. But it's not just like the immigration side versus the tax side. I think that where we are now in the midterms just shows the extent to which Trump has totally co-opted the Republican Party. You know, there were huge swaths of the Republican Party that were just about sort of rolling back regulations and tax cuts and sort of more conservative economic ideology. And now so much of the Republican Party is about um, immigration, these immigration issues, these trade issues, you know, these issues of sort of law enforcement and and people being scared and, and feeling like, uh, you know, Trump promising to protect them. And that is so much of the ethos of the Republican Party. And it's been totally brought up by Trump. Like these are not, you know, Republican congressmen and senators that went down this path. This is Trump that has brought this, them down this path. And this is the closing argument in the midterms. And keep in mind what uh, how Trump views politics. He, he doesn't want I don't think he wants to run on tax cuts, meaning uh, does he know? Does anyone here really believe he knows much more than the top lines of, of that bill? No, he's not a policy guy. He wants to prosecute a culture war uh, this fall, and he's doing it, and it had some success. That's why it's all immigration. That's why it's NFL. That's why it's really loaded language like animals. That's why he's talking about Maxine Waters and Hillary Clinton and pushing all these hot button issue for conservatives. It's all about the the kind of cultural things that really gins up and excites the base and the tax cuts don't do that. I think that's partially true, Charlie, but I, I disagree a little bit in that because he clearly does want to run on something regarding tax cuts or else he wouldn't have made up this this 10% tax cut 
out of midair, right? Or and we're talking about the this suggestion that there were Middle Easterners infiltrating this uh, caravan, or uh, there was a Wall Street Journal interview where Trump said that we don't actually have any tariffs other than on steel, when in fact there is a quarter trillion dollars in other tariffs. That so he. I think it's he he does want to run at least a little bit on taxes but he seems he's he can't or feels like he can't run on what they already did so he he's he's making something else up to as a future promise. Well, it's interesting because right it, it's like the decision to run on a forward-looking message rather than a backward-looking one. And the backward-looking one, you're right, would have some things like he passed a two tax bill. It has real things. Bill. It has real yeah, things. Yeah, he had in it. To, he got two conservative Supreme Court judges appointed. Like there are some, you know, he's rolled back regulations, particularly in the environmental space. There are accomplishments, but I also feel like the you know the question heading into the midterms was what was going to be a forward-looking message for him. And I think that we found it. It's just not an optimistic forward-looking one. It's just a very sort of negative, fear-driven one. Last word, Chris. Yeah, and I would add, even when uh, the White House and and Trump's outside folks settle on an issue that they're going to bring up, say immigration, it's all, I mean, Nancy's right. It's all Trump. He's the one that takes it to this level of Middle Easterners. He's the one who who editorializes in his speech and adds that Democrats want to buy uh, undocumented immigrants, a free car. All of that stuff is his own ad lib. I missed that, that he adds to, Yeah, that was another uh, another big one that's cropped up over the last weekend. And he said maybe a Rolls Royce. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll have to I'll have to keep an eye out for that. In the meantime, let's leave it there. Chris, thank you so much for for talking us through that and for for that little surprise that you dropped in at the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I expect my Rolls Royce on the way out. <laughs> and Nancy, thank you for being here. He doesn't give Rolls Royces to the fake news media, Chris. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me. All right. Uh, Charlie's going to stick with us. We're going to move into our second segment. But coming up first, we have a message from a sponsor. Facebook's growing team of experts are dedicated to strengthening security during election season and beyond. One way they're doing this is by using artificial intelligence to proactively block fake accounts before they have a chance to do harm. Learn more about their ongoing efforts at facebook.com slash action plan. On to our next data point, which is 130. That is the number of political ads that debuted across the country on Tuesday alone in battleground House, Senate, and governor's races. Look at who finances Dan Fian's employer. Radical George Soros, Wall Street's biggest banks. And the thugs that bring this poison to our communities. Meet Big Jim, a 20-ton Menard spreader. And our next guest watched every single one of them. Affordable health care. Not on your side. Because I'm asking for your vote. That's affordable coverage. The border. Those needles in the gun. This message. Every single one. Some of them even watched twice. We have assembled in the studio the shattered pieces of Zach Montalaro's <laughs> soul uh, to talk about this for the Nerdcast. Longtime listeners may recognize Zach's name from the credits. He was our researcher before taking the reporting job he's got now. But Zach, welcome. Thanks for having me. Is this your first Nerdcast? I had a bonus segment a while ago, but the first the first real appearance. I have to admit, I, I'm really excited to have you here, not just to hear about the commercials, only because it's so exciting to have somebody with a stronger regional accent than mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, Zach, 130 ads. Did you go insane? Uh, it, it's been a slow descent into madness because it's not been just this 130. It's been weeks and weeks of watching them. And I can blame you, Scott, for this. But, you know, I, I think I'm mostly sane. It is actually interesting. I feel like I can hear your soul screaming <laughs> right now, even though you're you're very calm. But so let's let's break this down by party. First, Republicans. What are they talking about? What are they not talking about? What's the argument that they're putting forth? And let, let's maybe start with the House, too, to keep control 
of the House of Representatives. Yeah, so the, the House has been kind of interesting that, you know, going into this election, we all thought it was going to be an election fought on the grounds of tax cuts. It's going to be positive messaging on the tax cuts they did. That's really not the case, especially in the closing couple weeks. Republican House messaging has largely been negative ads and largely revolved around tying these battleground uh, Democratic hopefuls to Nancy Pelosi. Another vote for the Pelosi agenda. Um, Nancy Pelosi is like the great evil in all of these ads that she's a liberal force trying to take over the country. And this Democrat, regardless if, she actually, regardless if they actually support her or not. Will, right. Many of them have said that they don't. Right. Many of them don't. But she's still tied into their ads um, based on policy and just based off image alone. Um, this You can extend this to to like other prominent Democrats. Uh, Elizabeth Warren makes quite a few appearances. Stand with Montana, not Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Hillary Clinton makes some appearances, Bernie Sanders, the occasional Chuck Schumer. Now Senator Donnelly stands with Chuck Schumer. But really it's Nancy Pelosi is that great evil. Well, so a lot of Democrats, and we've reported on this a lot, they've made a big deal this year about the fact that they do not support Nancy Pelosi for speaker. So how are Republicans going about making, continuing to make the connection between them and the the once and potentially future speaker? So a lot of it is based on policy that uh, Nancy Pelosi supports, saying, oh, so-and-so Democrat also supports this policy. Uh, And that policy usually is uh, opposing the GOP tax plan. Um, They try to frame it in these ads, not as a positive thing that they have done, but like Nancy Pelosi and this Democrat is trying to take this positive benefit away from you. And then immigration and open borders. They, They say broadly that Democrats support open borders. And that's the plan pushed forward by Nancy Pelosi that so and so Democrat supports. It's it's kind of an oblique way in, but ultimately the the same effect they've always been looking for, which is to tie these folks to Pelosi the same way that they tied incumbents to her in 2010 when Republicans took the House. Yeah, and they have an argument too that many Republicans will argue that me asking about this said, oh, so and so won't support Pelosi. Their argument is, well, who will they support then? And that there's really been no good answer to that. So that's why they feel pretty comfortable, you know, tying these people who say, hey, we're not going to vote for Pelosi saying, well, well, you have really no other option. Jackie Rosen votes 90% of the time for whatever Nancy Pelosi wants. How's that good for Nevada? Senate leadership fund is responsible. Charlie, it almost, it almost seems at times like what else would Republicans run ads about in the House, right? Like this has been the playbook for a long time now, and they're, they're loath to give up on it just because a few people have said it's like, oh, I don't support her. <laughs> yeah, it's cycle after cycle after cycle of, of uh, Nancy Pelosi abuse. Pelosi. And it's all been downhill from there. You know, Republicans will tell you, uh, you, you know, Pelosi's people get really upset when uh, the media write things about uh, the Pelosi ads and the idea that she's toxic out there. But the the truth is, like, Republicans wouldn't do it if it didn't work, you know, and we've seen it work before in lots of different districts. And in, in part because she's the most recognizable Democrats in many ways, but also because she's great for ads. It doesn't really matter if you're supporting her or not. It doesn't matter if you have nothing in common with her. What's great about her as a villain in ads is she fits sort of a caricature of the Democratic Party, coastal, uh, elite, very wealthy, and uh, and Republican ads have great fun with that, talking about her San Francisco values, and so that can be uh, devastating in, in certain kinds of districts. But what I found interesting this year is how many ads Hillary Clinton uh, appears in. That's remarkable. I mean, she is the failed nominee from 2016, yet she is in a ton of... Of ads like Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, like Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi. I'm a Hillary Clinton person. <laughs> Another Hillary Clinton. Where Republicans talk about so and so supported or embraced Hillary Clinton in 2016, especially in the Senate races, right, Zach? In those Senate races, where especially in the states where she lost by double digits, and yeah. you've got Democrats running for re-election. Number of ads that's tied like Joe Donnelly and Joe Manchin, um, Indiana, West Virginia senators, respectively, to Hillary Clinton for their support in the 2016 election. That's been a real hammer. I have to think there's also 
some degree of risk for Republicans here because here you are uh, nail you are hammering on the two most recognizable women in American politics at a time that Republicans are going to face the uh, a historically large gender gap in the polls and I wonder if there's going to be any sort of uh, if, if that in any way is hurting their them uh, their candidates only a few only a few more days till we find out uh, Zach talk to us about the Democratic side of the the advertising. Uh, equation this year. Uh, we know what they've been talking about: healthcare, healthcare, healthcare. Is this also what they're what they're advertising about? Yeah, almost almost <laughs> exclusively. Uh, if an ad doesn't say the word pre-existing conditions in it, I'm shocked. Uh, every single Democratic ad, almost to a T, tees up Democrats saying, you know, Republicans are trying to take away healthcare for people with pre-existing conditions. In Congress, I'll fight attempts to raise premiums or deny coverage to people with pre-existing conditions. I don't know why you voted to let insurance companies go back to denying coverage for pre-existing conditions. Iowans demanded that he protect healthcare, but David Young caved when we needed him most. This is based off the numerous, numerous, numerous votes that Republicans had to try to repeal the ACA, repeal Obamacare, and also based off the AHCA. That was a failed Republican healthcare plan. That's really been a weight around just about every Republican's neck in every House district. It, it It's every single ad. Um, there's an underlying current with that, trying to tie that health care vote into an overall special interests, good governance theme, that the reason the Republicans voted for health care this way was because they're tied to special interests. And as a Democrat, they would not do that. So, so-and-so took X amount of right, money from right. Y... Uh, companies, right? Yeah. Uh, pharmaceutical companies, drug companies, and then they voted to to do this, yeah. right? And it's, it's sometimes as opaque as saying they took money from special interests. Um, it's just kind of the Democrats kind of go with this to promote their. We a lot of Democrats have a anti corporate PAC pledge, so it kind of ties into that, and that's a pretty prominent theme that kind of underlines all these messages. But they're using that anti corporate PAC pledge to focus on healthcare. I also think there's another benefit to the the healthcare ads. One of the things that I've noticed is that it, it many Democrats are using it to, to humanize themselves. They're telling very personal stories. So if you're not hitting somebody for their uh, healthcare or pharmaceutical the donations they're accepting, they're they're using it to introduce themselves. I'm running for Congress because my mother um, hit a wall and had to pay twenty five hundred dollars for a pill. Or the first time I found out I had cancer, I cried out to God. Uh, when when my son had chemo, this happened. So so many of those ads have that kind of personal dimension to them. That's an interesting point. And and the the um, it's a, it, the the campaign finance angle to all this is is really interesting. We're seeing obviously uh, healthcare is the most important issue to a lot of people. But when uh, if Democrats do manage to take back the House in uh, this election, it's potentially the the first bill that we're going to see coming out of that new Democratic House of Representatives could be a campaign finance reform bill. And that's they're, they're using that to kind of tie together these arguments on health care and taxes too, the Republican tax votes, in a way that I think has slipped under the radar a little bit in D.C., but it won't, it won't be under the radar once, the, once these folks start introducing legislation on it. Yeah, if they win. Yeah. So yeah, that message is kind of tied to an emerging PAC called End Citizens United, uh, who's been really pushing this anti-corporate PAC pledge. Um, and a bunch of House Democratic challengers signed a letter. I think it was over 100 pushing for this to be the first bill. And uh, Nancy Pelosi has said in interviews that if she is speaker, that's something she'll do, which is an interesting dynamic in and of itself. Yeah, potentially trying to to signal to these folks like, hey, keep me on so right. I can I can uh, push this issue that that you're really excited about. Zach, what what are the Senate Democrats doing? Are they also hammering on health care? Yeah, maybe unsurprisingly, they're also talking about health care. They probably take a little bit of a wider look at it. You know, they focus on pre-existing conditions, but they don't really have that vote in the Senate 
that the uh, AHCA did not pass the Senate, so they don't really have that point to drive home. So they talk about healthcare kind of broadly. Anyone can get sick. That's why everyone needs affordable coverage. Promising to protect pre-existing conditions, but they talk about prescription drugs a lot too and fighting the cost of prescription drugs um, from Minnesota to West Virginia. That really ties in. And a third healthcare broadly related, uh, the opioid crisis. Illicit drugs rip the fabric of our communities. Mm. Talking about how they want to fight the opioid crisis and how they're going to do it. What are a couple ads that stood out to you as just, you know, as, as you were in your Sisyphean slog through your email box stood out to you as like, hey, this like this catches my eye. This is pretty good. So for me personally, I'm not a big fan of the ads that has like disembodied voice telling you how bad somebody is. (laughs) Obviously, they work. Wait, you're not? (laughs) Everyone loves those ads. Attacking law enforcement, rioting in the streets, Sharice Davids, radical politics, dangerous policies. Those ads wouldn't be made if they didn't work, but, you know, not for me. One ad that's really always stuck with me, I'm, I'm cheating a little bit, this is a couple weeks old, but it was from Florida 18, G, uh, Representative Brian Mast, Republican, had an ad, a testimonial ad from a person who he literally gave his leg to. Uh, Brian Mast is a W amputee from a war, and this this guy lost one of his legs as well. And the ad was a hell about Brian Mast, like, li- quite literally gave him a leg. Before Brian Mast literally gave me one of his legs, for over 30 years, I was in constant pain. Um, and like that's that's a good, it's kind of an outside of the box argument, but it's like a really great character argument. Like I don't know how you cut an ad about somebody literally giving a leg to not show good character. That's a great one. I think about Brian Mast every single day. His generosity has changed my life. I'm Brian Mast, and I approve this message. But but past that too, on to the healthcare theme. We've seen a lot of ads from from House Democrats or House Democratic hopefuls, you know, looking direct into the camera. That's a big theme this cycle. And the one recent one from Tuesday from that big slog from All 130 was uh, Antonio Delgado in New York 19. With all the noise going on, I want to speak to you directly. He's faced a lot of quite personal attack ads. And, you know, his campaign has pushed back again with the disembodied voice ads. But the one he cut most recently was him looking right into the camera saying, I'm determined to fight for affordable, accessible health care. Not take it away. I'm here. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for you on health care. I'm going to fight for you uh, on what matters to you. And that I'll always be straight with you. I will always you. be straight with you. And he's saying this direct into the camera. And I think that's pretty powerful when, when you're not having just some third-party voice attacking it, but the politician themselves saying what they want to say, saying it to the voter. That's pretty strong. Charlie, again, having watched the, the arc of these, these ad wars now for uh, election upon election, uh, has, what has struck you about, about this year that's that's been different opposed to previous elections you've watched. Well, I did see an ad this morning uh, titled "Big Jim." Do you guys know this ad? No, no. So no. "Big Jim" was a it's a it's a non it's a non top tier race in Pennsylvania where the challenger uh, introduces the the viewer to Big Jim, which is a huge manure spreading uh, <laughs> truck, and oh, this, yes, this candidate is, is a farmer and spreads the manure all over his opponent's face, uh, which is superimposed <laughs> all over a field. So when you hear Muser's attacks, remember, his lies are so big, I had to take out Big Jim. I'm Denny Wolf, and I approve this message. Send a farmer to clean up Washington. <laughs> there is like a special kind of genius there, uh, disturbing special kind of genius. Uh, but I guess the thing that I, I've noticed over time is just, I mean, the, the, the level of uh, disingenuousness. I mean, campaign ads is sort of what they're about. You know, they're, they're sort of a necessary evil in some ways. But, you know, the arc of it is just that it's now it bears so little resemblance to the truth. At least before there was a modicum of 
modesty, uh, respectability to the ads. They were sort of vaguely truthful. Now they're not even close. Like you just take a shred a you know a, of evidence and you will blow it up into uh, something major. And so just the the flat out lying disingenuousness is just endemic right now. It's terrible. Well, and and Zach, this has been something you and I have been kind of struggling with in terms of how to how to cover these things, right? Because on the one hand, like the the content of an ad as it is is important because a lot of people are going to see it and mm-hmm. that's going to affect the election. But also there there are some that are are kind of piecing together a thread here connected to another thread to to suggest something that that is is not really the case. Yeah. One of the ads that really sticks to me about that was um the the Democrat challenging Duncan Hunter in California. Um, I'm a camper in a jar. He has faced ads based off, I believe it was his grandfather. His grandfather masterminded the Munich Olympic massacre. His father said they deserve to die. A Palestinian Mexican millennial Democrat named Amar Campanajar doesn't get his support from the people of San Diego. Camper in a jar has never met his grandfather, has very obviously disavowed him. But he still faces these ads, these fear-mongering, race-baiting ads. And that, that's it's not the only race that we've seen that, too. And, that, and, and the fact that these are just openly aired on air, not even by an outside group, by the candidate, is quite remarkable. Well, and it turns out as if an outside group ha- had aired it, there would potentially be le- legal recourse for, uh, for Campana Jar, right? But there are, there are, actually, there are laws that specifically protect ba- – basically, there's almost nothing that a, a candidate can't put in their ads because the law protects political candidates being able to campaign on – what they campaign on, uh, even if in this case it's it's race baiting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, as usual, we like to end our nerdcast segments on an uplifting <laughs> note. So I think we should just uh, take it out there. Zach, back to the salt mine. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm <laughs> going to go literally watch another hundred ads today. So, <laughs> Charlie, thank you for being here as always. Thanks, Scott. And hey, a big thank you to our listeners tuning in this week as well, especially those of you who introduced yourselves to us at Politicon last week. Thank you so much for coming up to say hi. It was great meeting you. We really appreciated uh, hearing from you. Our producers this week are Jenny Ament and Adrian Hurst. Dave Shaw is our executive producer. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you like Nerdcast and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor and leave a review. It helps new listeners find the show. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again next week.